Okay. Uh, if this is your first time here, I'm Ralph Howe. I'm one of the pastors here at CCC, and I uh, hope you've felt a warm connection here this morning. And uh, just as we head into the message here for a moment, we have a chance to say goodbye and hear from uh, Joseph and B. Chen and their family. They've been here for four, two, two and a half years, just delightful family, just wonderful faces that greet us every week. And, uh, you know, God clearly loves them more than the rest of us because they're going to be going to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And um, so congratulations on being daddy's favorite children. Um, but what we like to do is give folks just a chance maybe to say something to the church and then we'll, we'll have a prayer for you guys. So anything, yeah. Oh, um, actually we kind of dread this moment that uh, first of all, you know, saying goodbye is hard, but also the other thing just under the spotlight. But uh, we thought, uh, you know, if we're going to get prayed for, it's an offer we can't refuse. Right. And also the other thing is, you know, it's also an opportunity for us to bless you guys. So I will actually pray for the church if it's okay with you. Would love it. That's wonderful. Great. Um, so anyway, um, just just kind of thinking back our time here, yeah. um, we were greatly blessed. It um, we had the opportunity to baptize our first and second son here. So we thought that that was great. Um, God really blessed our, us spiritually and an opportunity to serve in the church. So um, we uh, really cherish this time together. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you want to? No. Okay. <laughs> How about you pray for us and then we pray for you? Sounds very good. Yeah, yeah, you pray for us and then Rick will pray for you guys. How's that? All right. Dear Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you. Mm. Thank you for the time we have spent together as the body of Christ. Lord, we just pray that you will pour out your, your Holy Spirit mm. upon this church, that, uh, Lord, you work in people's lives here in Beijing. Mm. And, uh, Lord, you use um, the people here that um, you will call them to serve you uh, in a way that, Lord, that you give them purpose in their lives, Lord. Mm. We thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for Joseph and his family. We thank you, Father, for the way you have touched and uh, ministered to, to this body mm-hmm. uh, through them, and we send, uh, we're sending in our best mm. uh, to Florida, mm. and uh, that you would give them favor, uh, that the, the, young, the children would make friends in school, mm. uh, that this family would be your salt and your light. We speak blessings uh, over them from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, mm. uh, before them, behind them beneath them, above them, Father. And we thank you that we are persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, shall ever separate them from your love, O God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we look forward to being reunited with them uh, in the future. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Have a great trip. Bless you guys. We have been uh, doing a series over the last probably six weeks uh, called, uh, that we've kind of called, uh, Why Am I Here? And uh, we've kind of done that as a way to geographically say a lot of folks have just moved into Beijing, whether from their home country and it's their first experience to a, 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 you know, a different country or maybe just from another city in China, but you've been sent here. And of course, all of us that are here came for the first time at some point. So we've just been processing, you know, why am I here? From God's perspective, why am I here? Uh, and it also can have something to do with the season of life as well. 
And so we've been going through different characters in the Bible story and just kind of unpacking that a little bit. Um, And one of the things that I was taught and that I believe is true is that when you teach God's Word, part of your responsibility as the teacher is to take sort of, in a sense, an ancient text. I mean, we're talking about people that lived a long time ago in different cultures, in a sense. But take people who lived a long time ago and make a bridge to show how their stories and the way God's recorded them are relevant to us today. And so that's one of my paradigms as I come up and teach uh, is to say, what is God saying to me, uh, you know, in 2013 through these ancient accounts of lives that were lived a long time ago? And what's amazing is when you look at Scripture that way, it just opens right up and it speaks right into your life. So hopefully this series and what we do today will will in a sense continue to create a bridge where the scriptures are more relevant and you can sense God's voice more clearly in your own life. And so, um, so we'll build a bridge. We're doing the series. Last week we talked about Gideon. Um, Gideon was a guy that had no idea why he was where he was. He had absolutely no vision and no understanding that he could even have a purpose in his life. And God came and gave him the greatest gift he could give him. God showed up to Gideon, and he called him a mighty hero. He said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And in that one sentence, God gave him a purpose and a vision for who he was. Because Gideon had no confidence, but God said, Gideon, in me, with my strength in you, you're a mighty man of valor with a purpose and a reason for being where you are in this time of your life. And Gideon went on to fulfill God's calling in his life in a significant time in the nation of Israel. Something I didn't say about Gideon that I'll just say as we jump into the next, you know, this next person we're going to look at is um, God did something for Gideon so significant. He spoke into him truth about who he was by saying, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And what I would like us to do as a community is I would like us not to, you know, if you see me at Starbucks, I'm at Starbucks a lot. If you see, we see each other in the marketplace, right? The restaurants, the shopping, the traffic and all that. And we all, you know, we'll see each other and say, hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, you know, hi, how's your week going? You know, some of my Chinese friends, ni hao with the germer, you know, you know, hey, hey, brother, how you doing, you know? But rather than do that as a church body, I would love to see you. As a matter of fact, when I see you out there this week, I'll say, mighty hero, how's your day going? You know, when you see me out there, I would love three months from now, one of you to walk up to me and say, mighty hero, how's your day going? You know, and we can say that with a smile, but what we're doing is what God does for us. And he speaks truth into our life about who we are. We have four children. My daughter, Amanda, absolute treasure in our life. Uh, She's, oh boy, how old is she? (laughs) She's not yet 10. Um, I'm not sure if she's eight or nine. Is she nine? (laughs) Why am I asking you? (laughs) Oh, this is really bad. Okay. She was born in 2004. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. What does she look like? No, I'm just... <laughs> My daughter, Amanda, we adopted her when she was 13 months old, and we came to China, and she had a Chinese name, and of course, we've kept her Chinese name as her middle name. That's really important to us. We want to honor that, you know, part of her life and experience. But we also gave her a Western name, and we named her Amanda. And the name Amanda, we gave it to her because we looked up the meaning of names, and the root, the meaning of that name, means deserving of great love. And we felt like, okay, for 13 months she wasn't a part of our family, but now we're going to bring her into our family, but she doesn't know us. And every day of her life when we call out her name, we want her to understand and she knows what her name means. We're saying, you're deserving of great love, you know. And so 
God does that for us. And God did that for Gideon. And I want you to do that for me when you see me this week. And when I see you, I'm going to do it for you. Okay, we're going to say, mighty hero. How's your week going? Okay, Robin, will you do that? Thank you. Okay, Robin will come up with something funny, but that's okay. It'll still work. So what we're going to do today is we're going to just continue. And we're going to look at the life of Isaac, um, which is not what I intended to do. I intended to come up here and look at the life of Jacob. Um, Abraham, we looked at a few, several weeks back. Isaac is his son, who Rob Foster taught on a few weeks ago and did a great job. Uh, Rob's here. And um, then I was going to do Jacob this week. And Rob did such a bad job with Isaac that I need to go back and cover it, right? No, he told me to say that, actually, because I went up before the story. I said, you did such a great message, and there's so much in there. And I was actually studying to do Jacob. And as I was doing that, I just backtracked just to really fill my mind with the story. It's like there's so much in Isaac, you know. So Rob did a great job, of course. But I'm going to talk mostly about Isaac and a little bit about Jacob. And here's the thing about Isaac. Isaac lived basically a very normal life. Uh, Normal, maybe even somewhat of a troubled life. Isaac was born to elderly parents. Not that there's anything good or bad in that, but it's a fact of his story. His parents were very, very old when he was born. Um, And he grew up in a house with a good bit of turmoil. To read his story and to study his story is to know that. He was a part of a blended family uh, in that culture and day. The way things went, it was a blended family. And he had an older half-brother, quite a bit older than him. And apparently that half-brother was very, very cruel to him and very mean to him. uh, To such an extreme extent that Abraham actually sent that boy and his mom out of the house. So, you know, it doesn't really tell us too much about what the older boy was like. To Isaac, but it must have been pretty intense that the dad was willing to send the other son away, the older son away, because of the treatment of the younger son. So Isaac had some scars from an older half-brother, a sibling, um, just living a normal life as a teenager growing up. Um, as I read this this week, his story, um, I realized something interesting about Isaac. He's a third culture kid. He's a TCK. Right now, some of you don't know, maybe don't know that phrase because you're new to China, but parents of kids who move from their passport country and then come and live in another country for a period of time and they have children, those children become third culture kids because they're not a part of the culture that they're in and they're no longer a part of the culture where they came from that shaped them. They're kind of in the middle. They're in a place that's different. So if you have kids and you're here, then your children have become third culture kids. And Isaac was a third culture kid. And I've learned about third culture kids slowly, but um, I started to read some parts of books on it. There's lots of blogs. You can just type in third culture kid. You'll find some good blogs to give you information about this. Um, But as I read a little bit, I got worried. I thought, oh, no, what am I doing to my kids? They've got this label now. They're TCKs. They're third culture. They're not going to know how to have skills to live life. And, of course, that's not the case at all. Um, third culture kids, um, if you know nothing about it, and now I'm worrying you a little bit if you have kids, um, third culture kids um, gain more than they lose by coming to another culture and growing and letting God shape them in this environment. They, they develop skills and tools and, and a social ability that, that maybe they wouldn't fully develop only in one country, in their home country. Um, but it's worth it for you as parents to understand what third culture kids means. Um, the, the student leaders in our church actually lead seminars throughout Asia 
for people to understand better what it means to be a third culture kid. So if that's new to you, uh, it might be something you really want to look into. You can even talk to our student leaders about that because they're very, very much up on that and a part of it. Um, Isaac was a third culture kid. So we kind of just zip through the early years of his life. Some other events take place. Um, but when Isaac is 40 years old, um, he gets married. Uh, he waited longer to get married. And he, because of the culture of the day, uh, he married his wife uh, basically sight unseen. Uh, it was a prearranged marriage. And the day he met her was the day he married her. <clears throat> and that's what they did. And, of course, it was very important in that culture and very important to Isaac's family that he would have children. And so he was 40 when he got married. He was 41, 42, 47, 49, 53, 56, 58. No children. They didn't have a child for 20 years, he and his wife. And I wonder how he felt about that because he understood that For God's purposes to be fulfilled in his family, he would have to have children. He undoubtedly knew the story of his parents who God said, you'll have a child. And it took 25 years for the child to be born, who was Isaac. And so from the ages of 40 to 60, we don't know much about Isaac. But we know he got married. And then we know this. He was a man of prayer. And I want to read this scripture to you. Genesis uh, chapter 25, uh, verses 21 through 25. Um, Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. God answered his prayer and she became pregnant. But the children tumbled and kicked inside of her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? So she then went to God to find out what was going on. So she then went to pray. So only with little snapshots of their life, we can understand that Isaac and his wife were people of prayer. And I wonder about that prayer. So the babies, they ended up having twins, that, that birth. Um, and I wonder, like it says that Isaac prayed and God answered his prayer and they had the baby. So did he not pray for, you know, 18 and a half years or so? And then the moment he prayed, God immediately, they became pregnant. Do you think that's how it worked? I mean, I don't know for sure, but I do know that the scripture said that he prayed hard. You pray hard when you feel desperate You pray hard when something really matters to you. And when you pray hard, you probably pray repeatedly. You know, maybe the first few months of the marriage, Isaac just assumed they would be pregnant soon and the kids would start coming. You know, maybe it was after the first year. Whenever it was, Isaac was a man who most likely from the scriptures repeatedly and continually went to God with requests on his behalf, on on behalf of his wife. And his wife had also developed a prayer life. So, normal guy came from a normal but somewhat troubled family, had scars and wounds from his upbringing, also was loved and was in a bit of a prosperous family, had some good stuff going on. And then he had some deep desires in his heart that he wanted fulfilled, and he prayed deeply and desperately to God. It sounds like my life, to be honest with you. I'm sure it sounds like most of your lives, right? And God took his time with the answer. He waited 20 years for whatever his purposes were in that. Um, God usually moves slower for me than I think he should. Maybe you don't have that experience, so good for you, right? But I feel like he moves slow, but he's always listening. He's always there. And at the right time, in God's planning, they had the baby. Uh, they They had twins. So Isaac becomes a dad at the age of 60. So from the time he's 60... To the time he's 100 years old, 
We just learn little bits about him, just little sentences in Scripture. But we learn enough to know a few things. One thing is when he was 75 years old, his, his father passed away. So he had that experience. Um, we know that he, you know, it appears that he wasn't a great dad. Um, nobody's a perfect dad, and it appears that he wasn't a perfect dad. And it appears that his wife wasn't a perfect mom either. No doubt they loved the kids, but there was trouble in their home. Um, they were a prosperous family, uh, for the most part financially. We know that. Um, but then a significant event happens in their life um, in this time frame, between the ages of 60 and 100 for Isaac. Um, a famine hits the land where they're living. A famine where there's no water, food is not plentiful, all that kind of stuff. It had happened years earlier in his dad's story. And so Isaac looks at the situation and says, I think I need to leave where I am and go to another country. I need to leave and I need to go to Egypt because in Egypt there's opportunity, there's prosperity, and I can go there. But while he's praying, God says to him, don't go to Egypt. You stay here and I'm going to bless you even in the midst of famine. And it's an interesting thing to me because all the other people we've talked about in this series, why am I here? We've seen how God has said, leave where you are and go to another country. But here's Isaac in this situation and God says, don't leave where you are. Stay here and I'm going to work in this situation for your life. You know, and that's interesting too. You know, my family back in, uh, in March, we thought we might be heading back to America. We've been in China at that point for three years. And we had some circumstances come up, and I began to pray, and I thought maybe I was sensing maybe we're supposed to be going back. And over a period of about six to eight weeks, uh, we, like in my mind, I was even starting to pack. And I was praying daily. My wife was praying daily. We were discussing and talking, and because of some circumstances, we thought, yeah, we think this is it. God's calling us home. And then one morning, I was sitting in Mon Coffee, and God spoke to me. He didn't speak with an audible voice, but God spoke to me beyond a shadow of a doubt. Stay where you are. And we're here. And I've had the same. Like when I read this stuff, I get excited because I'm like, well, that's what happened to me in Mon Coffee, you know. And so we're here. But, we're, but, we're, but we thought we might be leaving. So Isaac says, okay, there's a famine. I want to go to another place, but God says stay, so I'm going to stay. And he's running his business, and now he's, a, he's got herds and cattle and lots of them. And Isaac opens a well. Now, in that day, that would be like opening a business. Like a, that's where you can prosper. Your animals can be fed and all that kind of stuff. And he's living in a foreign land. He was raised where his dad brought him, but it was a foreign land. And he opened a well. He opened a business. He had it going. And some of the locals came and said, we have rights to that property. You can't have that well. That's our well. So Isaac did all this work. And he got the thing up and running, and some folks came and took it from him. And you know what he did? He left, and he moved. He stayed in that land, but he moved to another place, and he found another well, and he opened it, and he got his business running again. And some locals came and said, we're taking that from you. And they took it from him. This guy's got a hard situation going on here. So he went, and he dug a third well, and a third time the people came after he'd set it up, and they said, we're taking that well from you. You can't have it. And he moved again. He had to move, you know, to the fourth place. Finally, he dug a well and they left him alone. And he was able to run, in a sense, run his business. You know, when you live, and I don't want to make too much out of this, but when you, when you live in a foreign land and you do business, it's more complicated, right? I mean, some of you folks are experiencing that. It's more complicated. 
right? And don't feel like God's abandoning you if the well gets covered up or if someone takes the well or whatever your business situation is, you know, because God's working in your character through all of it. See, God told Isaac, you stay in this land, and he stayed there. And he had challenges and troubles, but here's, here's what the locals, after all that stuff was going on, here's what the locals said to him, and, and I love this. So they've taken the well, taken the well, taken the well. He's got his own well, and the local leaders come to him, and they say, Isaac, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. And now, I want that to be something people say about me. Not, not that I'm like prosperous and nobody can touch me, but because of the quality of my life, hopefully, by God's grace, people can look at me. People that don't know Jesus can look at me and say, we don't have the Jesus thing figured out, but we can see that the Lord's with you. We can see that you're different. And Isaac didn't live perfect, but he lived in a way that people saw that. A generation earlier, his father Abraham was living in a foreign land. Similar stuff going on in Genesis 21. And it says, about that time, Abimelech and the captain of his troops, Phicol, came and spoke to Abraham. And they said, God is obviously with you, helping you in everything that you do. See, this family was different. And the people recognized that God was with them. And I love that. In the midst of a normal story, they were different, right? So, Isaac is between the ages of 60 and 100, and all this stuff is going on. And God comes to him one night, and he speaks to him. And this is so important, and this is probably the center of the message, even though I didn't realize it was until about two days ago. Um, in Genesis chapter 26, 24, it says this, right as all this well stuff is going on, that very night, God appeared to him, to Isaac, and he said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Don't fear a thing because I'm with you. See, God was in tune with what was going on in Isaac's story. And then he said to Isaac, I'll bless you and I'll make your children flourish because of Abraham, my servant. So God comes in this tumultuous time of Isaac's story, living in a famine, business troubles. God says, don't be afraid. I'm going to bless you. Isn't that a good message to hear from God? But the last part of it actually bothers me a little bit doesn't bother me bother me but it bothers me whatever that means right he says listen i'm doing all this isaac and i'm going to bless you and make your children flourish because of abraham my servant now if i was going along and god was saying ralph i'm going to bless jonah and amanda and melinda you know because of you and your leadership of your family i'd be like right on right on god's blessing my family because of me right but god said i'm not blessing you because of you I'm blessing you because of somebody else's faithfulness in the story. And this is so important. And um, golly, I use a lot of different words. If I just about to say, I, something really bothered me this week. Um, something really bothered me this week. Uh, one of our leaders in the church, uh, we were discussing something, and they told me that recently there was a gathering of 80 of our people people who regularly, weekly attend this church, Capital Community Church. And during the course of the meeting, the leader said, I want you to raise your hand if you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. There were 80 people in that room, and four people raised their hand. So you know what? I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> we're not teaching the gospel the right way. Because the gospel story is not a story of you or me earning our way 
into the relationship whereby we get to go to heaven. God doesn't look at me and say, Ralph, I'm blessing you and you're going to heaven because you've straightened out your life. He says, I'm blessing you and you're going to heaven because of somebody else's faithfulness in the story. And if you don't understand the gospel message as that, then please understand it from this day forward. When we come to faith in Christ, God forgives us of our sin, not because we've cleaned our life up, but because of someone who's gone before us who's been faithful. Abraham, in this sentence, is a picture of Jesus in our lives. The Christian life is not a life of doing and doing and doing to earn credibility and favor with God. It's accepting the free gift that Christ gives us. That's why we call it the good news. It's not good news if you have to work for it, right? So I'm not going to ask us to raise our hands if we know we're going to heaven, but if it's anything like a percentage of 4 to 80, then um, I need to teach this more often. We need to teach this more often. Um, Here's what the New Testament has to say about it. In Romans chapter 5, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. And you know, you know what that verse is saying? It's saying, you know, in other places it, it describes it again too. And it says, you and I were in Adam. Adam, the first man, when he sinned, God credited us, all of us, with his sin because he sinned. And you know what? That's not fair to me. That's not fair. I wasn't there. Right now, I've done my own sin, right? <laughs> but, but God says when Adam sinned, all the world became subject to sin and became guilty of sin. And that's not fair. But then Paul goes on to say, so here's the thing. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will, became, will become righteous. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, God sees me in a, as a perfect person in Christ. Now, that's not fair either. That's just as unfair. But I like it a lot better, right? Please know the gospel The good news of Jesus Christ that we're saved by God's grace, not through any works that we have to do to please God. We accept his gift by faith. There's a story that I love, and it it shaped a lot of my thinking 20 years ago when I heard this. I've never forgotten it. A story about two young men who were in uh, the war, a war. And uh, they became very close friends, and they were fighting together. And one night they were in a foxhole you know, with battles going on. And um, the one man, young man, was an amateur artist, and he drew a sketch of his friend in the foxhole, gun and everything. And he just did it, and he gave it to the friend, and the friend really cherished it and liked it, and the friend actually mailed it back home to his dad. So the picture went to his dad, and as the war progressed, the young man who had sent the picture back to his dad was killed in the battle. Um, And the other young man survived, and the war ended, and he went on, and he lived his life, and he contacted this his friend's dad and just said how what a good friend his son was to him and this and that and that he was so sorry he was killed in the war and so they kind of kept in touch a little bit and then the dad one day the dad passed away he was older and he passed away and out of the relationship with the dad's son and respect for the dad 
this fellow who had drawn the picture went to the funeral and found out that the dad was actually a very, very wealthy man, and he was an art collector, and he had all kinds of highly valued pieces of art in his collection, and that they were going to be auctioned off. So this young man, just out of a sense of wanting to be connected to the family, went to the auction, and he just stayed in the back, and people had traveled many, many miles to come to this auction because of all the amazing pieces that were going to be offered. The auctioneer got up, and unbelievably, the first picture that was held up to be purchased was the picture that this young man had drawn so many years earlier. And he's sitting back there, and he knows that's the picture he drew, right? And the auctioneer starts off, and he holds it up, and he says, who'll give me $100 for it? You know how auctioneers go on and on, and nobody would bid, and he said, how about 75 How about 50 And nobody would bid, and finally, the young man was in the back, and he didn't have a lot of money, but he said, hey, I don't have a lot of money, but I've got $25 in my pocket. And if nobody's going to buy it, I'll, I'll take the picture. So he purchased the picture. And so as he did that, the auctioneer whacked his thing and said, great, it's yours. And with that, the auctioneer closed everything up, put all this stuff in his briefcase and walked off the podium and started to walk away. And all these other pieces were still there. And the people said, where are you going? He came back up to the platform. And the people said, hey, we're, we came to bid on all these other pieces. And the auctioneer said, well, it's something you don't understand. He said that in the Father's will, he said that when we did this auction, that this picture was to be the first piece. And he said, whoever takes the picture of the Son gets it all. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful story? But it highlights the truth of the gospel. When you accept the Son of God... You get it all, okay? You don't have to sleep in the servants' quarters. You don't have to mow the lawn. You don't have to do the dishes. You become a king's son and daughter of royalty. And you don't have to earn it and work for it. When someone asks you if you die tonight or you're going to go to heaven and you have trusted in Jesus, then your hand ought to fly up just like that, right? Martin Luther is one of the great um, um, Christian leaders during the Reformation in Europe. And at that time, he was raised in a way around the Bible that the Bible wasn't taught. It wasn't open for everybody. And there was a very legalistic kind of approach to a religious life and even a Christian life where you had to be, feel guilty all the time and try to do things to earn favor. But he got a hold of the Bible and he studied it for week after week after week. And one night in his room, as he writes about this, grace hit him for the first time. And when he truly understood God's grace, he dropped the Bible down, and he ran out of his house, and he ran up and down the streets of his neighborhood just yelling, grace, 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 right? So what I want you all to do now is run out of the building and yell, grace, grace. I don't want you to run out and yell it, but I do want you to go out and live like you believe it, okay, with a pop in our step and a joy in our spirit and an expectation. See, Isaac's story is going along pretty normal, and then God just reminded him, you're favored, Isaac, because of my commitment to Abraham. And he says to you and to you and to me, you are favored because of my commitment to my son and because of your trust in him. Period. Nothing else. Right? It's a beautiful message. Right in the middle of Genesis, we hear the gospel amazing. I get excited about it, so I just keep saying it. I know you guys have heard it. One of my favorite phrases um, in the New Testament, sometimes I read the King James, sometimes I just love the King James, 
And it says, you are, he said, it says, brethren, you are fully accepted in the beloved, right? And the beloved's capitalized, capital B is in Jesus. You are fully accepted in the beloved. I love that. Maybe I'll say that to you when I see you at Starbucks. I don't know, but we should. Okay, I'm going to my page four. There it is. Okay. Um, so there's some stuff about Isaac, you know? He lives for a little while longer. He has two twin boys, and the twin boys grow up. And then his son Jacob goes off to a foreign land. And he goes to find a bride. And just two, you know, just two things, then we'll be done, and we'll have Ricky, you'll come back up and do the worship. Two things to point out about Jacob, because I think it's relevant for us. One is, Jacob was leaving his home because his brother was going to kill him. Okay, so you get a little picture into their family life, right? And the mother hears that the one boy is going to kill the other boy. So she goes to Jacob and says, go leave and go to this other country. Go to Haran and just go for a few days until your brother cools down. And Jacob says, yeah, I better go for a few days. So he goes off for a few days, he thinks, ends up being there for 20 years, right? Maybe some of you came to Beijing 20 years ago, and I know some of you did. And you thought you were going to be here for a few days, Right, maybe a year and a half or two years, and you're still here, right? <laughs> he thought he was going to be there for a few days. Um, something else in his story, and I won't, I won't unpack it. I just want to, I want to get the worship team back up here. Um, but uh, another major lesson to learn from Jacob's life is that he did not understand the culture. When he showed up in Haran, he tripped and he stumbled and he fell multiple times, and in major ways, one of them, because he didn't understand the culture, you know, and a foreign culture, when you live in a foreign culture, it's not a bad culture. It's just a different culture, right? And again, I want to help some of you that have just moved here. Um, there are lots of books that, that I've read that you can read to help you understand what it's like to live as a foreigner in China, because you know what? The culture works here for the people who live here and grew here. And, 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 we, and you honor the culture. One of the first things I learned is you need to never say a bad thing about the culture when you're frustrated because it's not bad. It's different. And you're the one that doesn't understand it. But they get the rhythm of their, their culture and their life. You know, it's really, really healthy for you and for me as we go through our days and our business stuff and shopping, whatever it is, and we get frustrated by something to go, I don't understand what's going on here, but I know it works. And it's my responsibility to understand the culture. There are a lot of books... Um, I guess you could email if you want these, but there's one called uh, Living Abroad in China. Um, We've read that one. There's one called The Expert Expatriate. It's really, really good. My wife gave me a book that she loved that I've enjoyed, 101 Stories for Foreigners to Understand Chinese People. Um, These are all books that greatly honor the Chinese culture as they should, and they help us to process and understand how to live in it. But Jacob just tripped and stumbled all over the place because he didn't understand the culture he had moved to. And he paid the price for it. 20 years later, he went home. His brother didn't kill him. And they all lived happily ever after. Um, But so here's the thing. Um, I think discipleship programs are really good. You know, if you've been around church for a while, we have discipleship books where you study chapters on things and you sit and you talk about discipleship. Meaning, how can I grow more like Jesus? And so churches will advertise, we have a discipleship program you can come to. It's wonderful. Uh, We do it, we should, and we'll continue to. But you know what God's discipleship program is? Life. (laughs) Your life is God's discipleship program. Right? And he's got you here in this season of your life. 
And he's discipling you and growing you into his son, into the image of his son. And hopefully, the people here will look at you and your family and your story, and they'll say, we notice that the Lord is with you. We notice that your life is distinctly different. And I see that in so many people. I, I stand up here, I'm like, man, this person should be up here speaking. That person should be up here. I see that in so many people's lives here, and it encourages me. And I want us to continue to do that.